Luke chapter 17. Before we dive into the text this morning from where we will think together, I want us to uh, think about two announcements that are very important in the life of our church. The first announcement is this. On December the 22nd, which is the Christmas or the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to have our Christmas offering. We do this every year as a way for us to be able to give outside of our church toward very important issues and missions. But I, but I want to speak to you very personally here for just a moment as your pastor. This year, for many of us, we have a lot of financial pulls on us as a church. Some of us are giving very faithfully to uh, the general offering, and we thank you for that. Some of you are fulfilling your commitments to the Roots Campaign, which we began a year ago, and about which you'll hear more next week. We, we want to say thank you to that. And we want your primary um, giving to maintain those two areas, your, your general giving and your commitment to the Roots Campaign. And if you haven't yet been able to give, then we're going to invite you to give to those two places, but also to our Christmas offering, which is going to cover two areas that we think are very important in the life of our church. The first is that we would like to raise a total of $25,000 on December the 22nd for two things. The first is that we would like to give $15,000 to New City Fellowship, which is a new church plant in North Tulsa, who doesn't have the same resources that we do, and we want to be able to bless them this Christmas. And the second thing that we want to do is we want to raise $10,000 in order for us to resource families and couples in our church, members of our church or attendees of our church who are in need of counseling but afraid to go or unable to go because of financial constraints. So the goal is $25,000, $15,000 for us to send outside of our walls to New City Fellowship in North Tulsa, and $10,000 for us to be able to invest into the marriages and the individuals' lives through counseling in our midst. So would you be praying about how as you lean into the new year, how you might be able to participate with giving to our general offering or to fulfilling your roots campaign or toward our Christmas offering. Now, if you're willing and able, would you take your Bible and would you open to Luke chapter 17? Keep it in your lap, and I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. Scott McCauley's parents divorced just before Thanksgiving. And the tension between his mom and dad was so thick that Thanksgiving imploded in their house. If he was nice to one, one parent, the other parent got mad at him. And if he was nice to the other, the other parent got mad at him. His siblings didn't really know where to go. And so Thanksgiving just completely evaporated for him. And so he decided to do something a little bold because he knew that Thanksgiving was about giving thanks. And it's hard to give thanks when you're alone. So he put an ad in the paper and he said to anyone who's doing Thanksgiving alone, you're welcome to have Thanksgiving with me in my house. He didn't know who would show up. But the first year he did it, six people came. And so Scott McCauley decided to do this every year. And this year was his 34th year to do this. He's done it every year since 1985. And there was a, a lady who had Parkinson's who's a, at a nursing home who paid $200 for the ambulance to pick her up because she saw the ad in the paper and to take her to Scott McCauley's house where he served Thanksgiving with 84 friends he had never met. 
And I don't know what, what, what you, you think about Thanksgiving. I don't know what it's like for you. Some of us, it's a wonderful time. Sometimes it's hard because we're alone. And Scott McCauley decided to make something of it. And so people came from every walk of life, rich and poor, young and old, all different races, and they had Thanksgiving together. And the funny thing about that Thanksgiving meal was Scott McCauley never welcomed everybody, and he didn't really emcee it. He said people just knew him as the skinny guy in the kitchen cooking all the food. And we think of Thanksgiving as Americans as the time where we bring food together, we watch a little Dallas Cowboy football, and we enjoy really good food and stuff our faces full. But you know that there's something in us as human beings that knows that gratitude makes us whole. Gratitude makes us whole. Can you say that with me? Gratitude makes us whole. This is not just an American idea. If you were born in Malaysia, then you would have Thanksgiving over rice during Kadazan, the Kadazan festival. If you were Korean, you would do it over kimchi at the Chusik harvest festival. If you were born in Ghana, then you would do it over yams at Homovo. If you were German, then you would celebrate it over these giant woven baskets filled with fruit and nuts and grain at Interdecon Fest. And then you would go on a post-meal walk like many of you did, and they would do it with lanterns through the streets. If you were Chinese, then you would do it over pastries at the Harvest Moon Festival. If you were Jewish, then you would do it in late September, early October over Sukkot, the Jewish festival of booths. And if your family was from India, then you would do it over sugarcane and turmeric at Pongal in mid-January. This is not just an American idea, friends. There is something about gratitude that makes us whole. The word whole... I get from the, uh, uh, Luke chapter 17. And so if you're willing and able, let's stand together and we'll read this passage all together. Luke 17, I'll begin reading at verse 11 and we'll go down through verse 19. This is God's very word. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Gratitude makes us whole. And I am assuming that to some degree, whether you're a believer or not, you believe that that sentiment 
is true. And if that is true, what are the steps that we are to take to become a more grateful people? Listen, gratitude today is, is almost an etiquette. Give thanks. Less than it is an ethic. It is now, it's almost a platitude that you offer to somebody. Thank you. Less than it is a, a virtue. A deep spiritual emotion that is to characterize all of your life, as we'll look at next week, regardless of your circumstances. From Seneca to Shakespeare, gratitude has been considered a virtue. But over the last 200 years, we have seen gratitude as a virtue be replaced with thanks as a verb, something that you simply say to someone. And we have lost this deep sense of what it means to be a grateful people. For example, for you engineers in the room, if you were to look on Google Books, I think there may be a slide on this somewhere back there. If you were to look on Google Books and you were to say, what are the uses of the term gratitude from the early 19th century around 1800 to today? you would find that the term gratitude precipitously falls off. Why is that? Because we've replaced this noble sense of virtue and gratitude as a state of being with a verb to give thanks. Gratitude should be the fertilizer of your Christian walk. It is what makes you and me whole. And while gratitude is this deeply felt impulse across all time and space and people, it is something that Christians among other virtues we should have, should be full to the brim with a profound sense of gratitude. Now, in this passage, you have Jesus who is walking with his disciples, and he enters a village, and he is met by ten lepers, who, as the text says in verse 12, they stood at a distance. And we know from Leviticus 13 that they stood at a distance because they were not allowed to be near those who were clean. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn cloths, Leviticus 13 says. And let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! And he shall remain unclean as he has the disease. As long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Lepers in the ancient Near East were literally outcasts. And because they lived alone, that is, that they need to live apart from those who were clean, they would often form in colonies, which is why in the New Testament, when you see one leper, you often see many together because they live together to help each other out. And here you find ten lepers who were together who see Jesus, and they cry out to him. And they say, Jesus, Master! which is a unique word for them to call Jesus. Most of the people who weren't his disciples called Jesus their dadaskalos, their teacher. But here they say, Master, a different Greek word. Have mercy on us. And when Jesus sees them, he says to them, go and show yourself to the priests. Why? Because again, back in Leviticus, Leviticus 13 through 15, we read about the instructions for someone who has been cleansed of leprosy. They are to go to the priests. And the priests were to see that their leprosy has indeed been cleansed, and they were to offer a sacrifice, and that person was then clean. He was able to go and be with God's people in the temple. And so he says, go to the priests, because there's so many of them, you're going to need more than one. And because they weren't all the same nationality, were they? Some were Jewish, and at least one was a Samaritan. 
And so after he says, go show yourselves to the priest, and they went, and listen to what it says, they were cleansed. Just think about that for a minute. I mean, if we had lived in the ancient Near East, we might for a season or a time be unclean, but we would be readmitted to the people of God. These people were not. They were perpetual outcasts. They felt outside the veil their entire life. And they were cleansed, healed. And they run to the priests. And isn't it remarkable that, that how many people actually turn to say thank you to Jesus? How many? One. 90% of the people who had cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And nine of them didn't even turn to say thanks. And we know that Jesus is telling the story, or Luke is telling the story again to remind us of this very point. That it is very easy for us to fall prey to be ungrateful people. It's true for me, and it's true for you. And I just want you to notice for a few minutes, what were the steps that this one grateful Samaritan took in order for him to express his thanks to Jesus? And we don't have much time, so let's just throw the steps out there. And I want you just to think about, are you taking these same steps? I know you've just had a meal together. I know we just had time with family. Many of us did. But are you taking these steps to move toward your Savior with a profound sense of gratitude for how he, like the lepers, has also healed you? Notice what this one Samaritan does. First, what does it say he does? Look down at verse 15. And then one of them, one of them, Luke emphasizes, when he saw that he was healed. Do you see it? Listen, our church was, was born out of a profound sense of gratitude. In 1997, there were a group of people who began praying for a church in Owasso like Trinity. And for 10 years, it just was just prayers in the air, Lord, please show us. And then in 2006, there was a church that formed in South Tulsa, and the Lord knew what he was doing through that church. And a couple of years later, after that church formed in South Tulsa, there are a group of people who went to River Oaks Presbyterian Church in Christ Pres, who lived in Owasso, who began to gather together. Do you remember it? Many of us are still in the room. You remember it. And once a month, they began to meet for worship at Freedom Church here in Owasso. And they would meet once a month and just pray, Lord, are you doing a work in Owasso? Could you bring us a church like Trinity, where our, own, our arms are open wide, where we hold high the finished work of Christ and the gospel, where it's okay to walk in here banged and bruised up and be a sinner, where we can have a community that really fosters honest discussions about our brokenness and our need for Christ. And that group of people from River Oaks Presbyterian Church and Christ Pres begin to meet and pray, and eventually they, they formed a search committee to find a pastor, and they moved from freedom to meet in the area by the vending machines right out here where we're going to have our potluck dinner. Not the big area of the cafeteria, the area by the Coke machines. Everybody could fit in that area. Do you all remember that? It seems like yesterday. And then the search committee got so desperate that they hired me. <laughs> and then we came in 2011. And not only was Trinity born out of a profound sense of gratitude to River Oaks Presbyterian Church and Christ Presbyterian Church for them giving people and through the people resources to help the church get going, 
But we've ministered out of gratitude ever since because secretly most of us think in our minds as we drive to church every Sunday, I can't believe there's a church here. And after eight years, guys, the Lord has blessed us immensely. And our ministry is born out of a profound sense of gratitude. For example, we always thought we wanted to be a church planting church, but we didn't really know how to do that. We just knew that we wanted to do that, and we knew that many churches waited until they hit certain metrics, but by that time, they were so big that they couldn't release the people they needed to release. And so our very first session meeting that we had as elders in 2013, our community group from Grand Lake, from Grove, came to the meeting and begged us to help get a church planted at Grand Lake. And so from our very first meeting, we said, the Lord is in this. We're a church of like 50 people. How are we going to send out all these people to Grand Lake? But we did it because we were grateful. And then in 2018, the Bartlesville community group took off. And we challenged them, if you want a church plant in Bartlesville, let's grow the community group. And they grew the community group. And they were like, we want a church plant. Let's do it. And we were like, I can't believe we're here. This is amazing. Go for it. And we sent them out and they started a church plant. But you know what's true of us is also true of Israel. Israel was delivered out of bondage to Egypt, weren't they? Through Moses. Just as the Lord Jesus planted this church. And when they got across the Red Sea and they got into Canaan, guess what they did? Guess what was their primary virtue? <laughs> what was their primary virtue as a people? They grumbled. They had forgotten all that God had done in their past. And so you know when they got to uh, the middle of the wilderness, they, they complained because they were thirsty. They were in the middle of the desert march. In Exodus 15, it says when they finally came to water, they tasted it, and they thought it was bitter, myrrh. And so Moses takes a piece of wood, just like he took a wooden staff and touched the waters that divided, just like he took a wooden staff before Pharaoh and did miracles, and he took another piece of wood and he touched the waters, and the waters sweetened. And the Lord was faithful to his people, and he satisfied Israel in the wilderness. And then one month later, they're in Rephidim. Do you remember the story in Exodus chapter 17? And they're in Rephidim, and they're, they're grumbling once again. And they complain that they have no water. And Moses is beside himself, and he says, Lord, these people are going to kill me. What do I do with them? And again, the Lord instructs Moses to walk ahead to Horeb and with the elders to strike the rock with the piece of wood again. And water comes out of the rock. And again, God's people are satisfied. And he protects them and he nourishes them and he provides all that they need. Again and again and again and again. He does this all the way through until you get years later into the book of Numbers. And then what happens? The Lord loses his patience with his people. He doesn't actually lose his patience, of course. But the Lord knows that there is a generation here who have become so entwined with ingratitude that that generation dies off. And all those who are 20 and younger, only those, are going to be the ones who enter into the promised land. Listen, let me just be honest with you for a minute, as we always are together. Worship is sometimes really hard. And we have an amazing history of God's faithfulness to us. He's called me to lead you. We've been so blessed by having Scott Mitchell join us. We are so blessed with an amazing staff. 
The Lord has grown this church in amazing ways. There are 450 people that are worshiping right now because of the work of this church all the way through northeast Oklahoma. You don't see them here, but they're there because of you, because of what the Lord has done with you. But you know what my greatest temptation is on Sunday morning? Oh, gosh. When are we going to get a building? Oh, man. The coffee's not even here. Oh, gosh, we got to do crockpots and instapots for lunch instead of having a nice commercial kitchen. But the Lord wants to do the flip the script moved on us, just like we talked about last week, the Judah move of gratitude. And he wants us to recognize, do you see it? Do you see, Trinity, how much you have been healed? And do you therefore walk in gratitude and joy because of all that he's given to us? We're worshiping. There's nothing that we would have with a building that we don't have now except more facilities and spaces. We're it. This is it. And we have to practice now the rare virtue that Seneca and Socrates and Shakespeare and especially the Lord Jesus teaches us to be a people who are first of all grateful. And you can't until the, you take the first step. And that is that you have eyes... Did I not tell you through a friend that you were a good mom or a good dad, even though you do not believe that? Did I not give you a good family? Did I not lead you into the doors of this church? What rhetorical questions is your Savior asking you? He wants to have a conversation with you, friends. He wants to welcome you this Advent season into seeing virtue not as a verb, but as a state of being, as a profound virtue, a deep virtue that should mark and characterize the whole of our life. Because like Scott McCauley, Jesus too was separated from his father, wasn't he? But not through divorce. He was sent to us. Through love, the Father sent him to you. And like Scott McCauley has done for 34 years, welcoming people to the table, Jesus has for 2,000 years welcomed you to his. And the only requirements to come to his table are that you live out the name of the table, the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving meal. And just like Moses struck the waters with the wooden staff, and they parted and threw the piece of wood into the bitter waters, and they were sweetened, so Jesus was struck upon the wooden staff of the cross so that you might be able to recognize all that he has done for you. No matter where you were born or where you live, whatever nation it happens to be, whatever tradition the world follows, the source of all of those traditions is rooted in our deep innate desire to give thanks. Because the fundamental first problem that we all struggle with, our sin, Romans chapter 1 says, is ours to deal with because we did not give thanks. We were foolish in our hearts and they were darkened. And we did not give thanks. But we turned and we worshiped the created things rather than the creator, the birds and the four-legged creatures. In this Advent, I just want to encourage you and challenge you that you would make it a habit of saying thanks to people near you, not just the truck drivers and the supervisors for setup, not just the volunteers at our church, but certainly those two. But that you would go to people that have had a profound impact on your life and you would say thanks. And kiddos, if you are able to write in your bulletin, would you just consider 
as you come to the Lord's table or as you come back, to write the name down of somebody you're really thankful for and show it to your mom or to your dad or somebody sitting near you. And if you can't yet write, would you just whisper it in the ear of your mom or dad or guardian sometime today and let them know it? Or come tell me after the service. I'd love to hear it. Gratitude shouldn't just be something that's a platitude. Gratitude makes us whole. Gratitude makes us whole. Let's say it again together. Gratitude makes us whole. So take your place around this table. Jesus invites you to it. He doesn't want you to be alone. He wants you to be whole. Because when you recognize how much Jesus has done for you, just like the Samaritan, you're not just healed physically in part, but you're healed spiritually and you're made whole. See your new condition in Christ. Turn to him and offer your praise. Fall at his feet. And as you prepare to come to this table this morning, say thank you for making me whole. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would help us to recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from you, as James says. And Father, would you help us this morning to recognize that you have been so profoundly generous to us. May you help us turn from our grumbling and turn with grateful hearts to you and to say thank you for all you've done for us. Not just on one day, but in one life. Would you make us in this church a grateful people? Would you help us to be people who are able to articulate our thanks to others? Would you help us as a culture to embody a sense of gratitude for everybody you bring into our midst, to learn from them, to welcome them with open arms, and to allow a group of sinners saved by grace to turn together to Jesus as you've healed us and say, thank you, Father, for making us whole. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.